Thank you. Once again, I thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, come and speak here. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're starting at verse 23. Book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 23. Sorry, 22, verse before. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, chapter 13, verse 20. I tell you, I don't know what I'll do. There we go. Okay. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. That in itself starts to tell us something about this passage. Before we go any further then, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask now that you might open our hearts and minds. Instruct us, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's getting warm up here. So. Okay. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. When you travel, a map is a good idea. A GPS is sometimes useful. An annoying person, usually female, sitting beside you going, why didn't you ask directions back there, is usually not a great help. But what you look for... What you really want to find is a signpost. They're really, really useful. I remember travelling down in in Gippsland with my mother a few years ago and she said, uh, have a look at the signpost up up ahead. And it read, Parry Road. I said, "Is, is that us? She said, yeah, your great uncle used to have a farm out at the end of that road. And because it was a dead end road, uh, it became known as the the road to Parry's because it was the only place you could get to. And eventually it's now there as Parry Road. Hey, we're, we're famous. We've got a road named after us. But signposts are really, really useful. There are in the Bible signposts. Signposts. Very important things to notice when you read through scripture, look for a signpost. Because there's one here that says in verse 22, as he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then you look right down to the end of the chapter and you find Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. So what Luke has done is he's put in a signpost mentioning Jerusalem up the top and then mentioning Jerusalem down the bottom to let you know this is one passage. Because remember, there were no chapter divisions when this was written. So you were dependent on looking for these literary signposts to know what bit you, you, you know, whether this carried on or not. There's a second interesting one coming up too in the next verse. Then one, then one said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now, I, I think that actually for the next about two chapters, two and a half chapters, 
Jesus answers this question, or actually Luke answers this question, dealing with who's saved and how are they saved. So there's, there's two little pieces in here, and one we'll be looking at in the next few times I speak, dealing with this question of who, the, who is, uh, are there few that be saved, but there's a shorter section in here that we'll be dealing with today. Then one said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now, quite often we give the, uh, the disciples a, a bit of a, a criticism, you know, for asking dumb questions. They, they really sometimes do ask some, some really, you know, bad questions that show they just haven't understood what's happening. But this time... Let's give the guy, whoever it was, probably Peter, he tended to be spokesman. Let's give him full credit because this is a very, very good question. Sometimes when people came and asked questions of, the law, of our Lord and, and they were just out to trick him and out to cause trouble, he'd give them twisted curly answers that just fouled themselves up and they didn't know where they were going. But here is someone coming with a genuine question, really wanting to understand, and we find that Jesus goes on in quite length explaining this situation. If you come to God with a genuine question, genuinely wanting a genuine answer, he'll give you one. It's those who come with questions that they have a predetermined answer that they want and uh, are just looking for excuses and not answers, find that God tends not to deliver the answer they're looking for. But here is a genuine, intelligent, wise question. He says, are there few that be saved? Now, what prompted this? Well, probably he'd been looking at the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, and he'd gone, these people don't seem to understand what the Lord's talking about. They seem to have neglected the truth of the scriptures they're supposed to be teaching. So, if they're not right with God who is it's a very good question are there few that be saved Jesus says strive to enter in at the straight gate for many I say unto you will seek to enter in few and many they're, part, they're sort of vague terms, aren't they? What's few? What's many? What are we counting? Grains of sand or push-ups? That gives you a different view of few and many. When, when you look at numbers of people, I, I, I remember that, that, uh, that the, the book and the, the subsequent show, Schindler's List where a man saves thousands of Jews from the gas chamber. If you were on Schindler's list, it meant life. There were thousands of people, men, women and children, on that list. Are thousands few? Are thousands many? Most of us would think thousands are many, but compared to six million dead, thousands are few. 
Are there few that be saved? The book of Revelation tells us that there's a multitude that man cannot number, that you lose track of counting when you try to count them, that come to God. Are they few in terms of the billions that live now or are they many? So in trying to answer this question, Jesus says to them, don't look at the number that are saved. Don't wonder, is it few or many that are saved? Because, he says, verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. Oh, the issue is not how many are saved. The issue is how many are lost. It's not the question whether few or many are saved and make it to heaven. The real issue is that many will not. That's the important question. That there are many who are not saved. And he begins to develop this picture. In verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. It's not that they don't want to enter, they're not allowed to enter. Then he, begin, he, he paints a little picture here in the next verse. When once the master of the house is risen up and shut to the to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door and saying Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you I know not whence ye are. Now here's a, it's a picture he's drawing. Imagine a, a, a big house but it's not a house like we think of a house. This is a house that's built around a central courtyard. This is a wealthy person's house in the Middle East. It's built around a central courtyard and leading into that courtyard is a big gate. Big gate. And during the day, the, the gates are open. Anybody can come in and out. And inside that, that gate, there's a, a little gate, a little door. So that when the gate is shut at night, you can still let one or two people in. But during the day, the gates are open. And it's a picture of a Middle Eastern feast. And a typical time when you'd have one of these sorts of feasts uh, uh, at a wedding, uh, at a circumcision, for, for the, especially for the first son. You'd proclaim a feast for that and invite everybody in. There'd be uh, all these, these times when there would be a feast provided. And where would they have the feast? Well, they'd have it in the courtyard. They didn't have it inside a building very often. they have it in the courtyard. Now, they might put up a few bits of you know, sailcloth and shadecloth and that, but pretty much in the courtyard. And all the people walking past would see in at the preparations of the feast. And this was done deliberately. It wasn't just showing off. There was a bit of that going on. It was, it was to demonstrate what was happening here. Especially for a wedding, 
people, of the poor people, would gather at the gate. Remember the story of Lazarus? A beggar at the gate of a rich man. Because people coming in and out would, would give things and very frequently at these feasts the, the lord of the house would, would distribute gifts and food to poor people to demonstrate his generosity. It was a sort of a, 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 a touch of, you know, when my son marries, nobody goes hungry. This generosity that was being shown there. Oh, you could say there's a touch of the godfather in that, but yes, there, there was too. This was a, a time to demonstrate your power, your influence, and your generosity at a feast. So these people are coming in and out to the feast, but then later on, when the serious business gets started, they shut the gates. Those big gates are shut. And if you're a little late, we have to knock on the little gate to, let, to be let in. If you're looking for an example of this, look in the book of Acts, the story of Peter after he's released from prison, going to Mark's house and knocking on the door of the gate where a, a, a girl then hears his voice and, and runs and, and tells them that he's there. So... They've begun, so the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. He shut the big gates. And someone's come and begins to knock on the door. And they say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Now it's interesting. You know how you were let in? Someone had to recognise your voice. And frequently, if you were well known to the household, you'd knock on the door and then you'd go, it's me. That's about six or eight letters in Greek. You just say, it's me. And they would hear your voice and recognise your voice and open the gate to you, open the little door to you and let you in. So these people are come, they believe they are entitled to enter into the feast. They say, yeah, we should be able to go in. They knock and they say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto them, I know you not whence you are. Now that's another interesting thing. If someone knocks on your door and said, you know, for instance, you know, knocks on the door and says, Eddie, open up! You don't recognise the voice. What do you say? You say, who are you? doesn't say that. He says, I don't know where you're from. For he knows who they are. But what he doesn't recognise is where they are coming from. He doesn't say, I don't know your name. He says, I don't know your origin. I don't know where you're from. Have a look in John chapter 8. What we're talking about here is, I don't know your origin. I don't know your loyalties. 
In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says of these people, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus, the, the Lord of the feast says, Oh, I know who you are, but I don't know where you've come from. You haven't come from my country. You haven't come from my origin. You don't have my loyalty at heart. You have the loyalty of your father, the devil, at heart. And you won't be permitted in. For I know not whence you come from. So then these people... Then shall you begin to say, We've eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. Again. We've eaten and drunk in your presence. It doesn't say that Jesus ate and drank in their presence. Remember the story of the 5,000 and then they, would, they sought to make him king by force? And he said to them later on, you just came because of what you could get. You've eaten and drunk in my presence. Secondly, they said, and thou hast taught in our streets. Not taught in our homes, not taught in our churches, not taught in our synagogues. Thou hast taught in our streets. What does it mean to teach in the streets. You want to see an example of teaching in the streets? Turn back a bit. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Verse 10. Luke 10.10. 10. When he sends out the, the 70 to prepare his way, Jesus says, But into whatsoever city ye enter in, and they receive you not, Go your way out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than that city. Teach in the streets. That's the teaching in the streets. The rejection of the gospel causes people to teach in the streets. When it gets to the point that Christians can no longer teach in houses, no longer teach in churches, no longer teach in schools, and are forced to teach in the streets, that place is but one step away from the judgment of God. Oh yeah, he taught in their streets because they wouldn't allow him to teach anywhere else. Think of the men like Whitcliffe, Wesley, who taught in the streets and the fields because the churches wouldn't allow them to teach in there. Yes. Thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me all, ye workers of iniquity. These people thought they were entitled to enter 
but they were not. You see, who will be saved is not based on who you say you are. Not based on what name you put on yourself. These people believed that they were the chosen ones. They believed that they were the special ones. They believed that they were better than everybody else because they knew the truth. And Jesus said, I don't know where you've come from because you certainly haven't come from me. Verse 28, And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and ye yourselves thrust out. So we know who will be in there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and all the prophets. Who was the first prophet? You ever wondered who the first prophet was? I will tell you. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Verse 7. Abraham is speaking, or God is in fact speaking to the the to Abimelech and says to him, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Prophet. Did you know Abraham was a prophet? He was the first prophet. So it says here, When ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. He's included in that group. And all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. These are the people from the Old Testament. Well, they expected to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. That would not be an unusual thing. I'd expect to see them there, wouldn't you? You know, when you think of the, 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 the uh, hall of fame that's in, in the book of Hebrews, all the, the people who did great things for faith, yeah, well. But then he says, And they shall come from the east, and from the west, from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. Oh, there's going to be other people there. Other people that these religious leaders didn't expect to see there. There will be people sitting down in the kingdom of God that you are going to go and say, what are they doing here? I, I can guarantee you this. There will be three things that you will ask when you get to heaven, when you see the people that are there. Three things. You are going to ask yourself, what is this person doing here? You're going to look at people and you'll go, them in heaven? Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thunk it that this person would be in heaven? Then you're going to look around and you're going to say, where's this person? 
Of all the people I knew, I thought they would have made it. And they're not there. Much like these people. You, you're going to say, you say I, I would have thought, wow, they're not here. And then thirdly, you will look around and you will say, what am I doing here? What got me in? I certainly don't deserve it. Oh, there will be people there who you will wonder, how did they get in? And the grace of God will have been extended to them. And there will be other people that you will say, surely they were the sort of person who'd be in heaven and they won't be there. And then you'll look at yourself and you'll say, what did I do to deserve the grace of God that I made it into heaven? And the answer is you did nothing. Otherwise it wouldn't be by grace. There will be lots there. There will be lots of people there and you will wonder how on earth did they get in. And not only that, in verse 30 it says, Behold, there are last that shall be first and there shall be first which are last. Remember, God has not only charge of the invitation, he also has in charge of the seating arrangements. Not only will he determine who is in there, he will determine where they sit. And, if you, and when you get there, I don't believe I will be too concerned about which table I'm at. I will be, just be glad my name's on a placemat. Are there many to be saved? Are there few that be saved? Well, there are many that be lost. And some that we thought would be first will be last, and some that will be lost that we thought would be saved. And it won't be the way we thought it would be. Because it's not based on what name you give yourself. Call yourself Baptist, it doesn't help. Call yourself scribe or Pharisee, it doesn't help. Call yourself chosen, it doesn't help. Because it's not based on who you think you are. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. It's not based on who your friends are either. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on who your friends are. And he said unto them, Go and tell that fox, Today I cast out devils, I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. He's starting to tell hear what it is about it's not about who your friends are you know in our world today what do we think of a fox as what what you know when you think of a fox what what do we think of you know apart from a a, a nice thing to make a first stole out of you know and stealing chickens what's the what's what's a fox's symbol of cunning Sly, clever. That's not the way people looked at foxes in the Bible. No, 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 no. A fox was not a symbol of cleverness in the Bible. That's a Greek idea. In the Bible, the fox was a symbol of weakness. 
A box would be compared not to something that was dumb, but to something that was strong, like a lion. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3, it says when they're comparing the wall that they're trying to make in Jerusalem, it says, look, that wall they've built, even if a fox runs along it, it will knock it down. Ah, their stone wall was so weak and so flimsy that a fox could knock it down. The fox was considered a symbol of weakness and a lack of strength. Perhaps today we would have said of Herod, go and tell that puppy that I've got business. And that's the sort of implication we've got here. Go and tell that mouse that I have business to do. It was a term used to indicate that Herod the king was in fact weak. For getting into heaven doesn't depend on who you call yourself. It doesn't depend on who your friends are. Weak or strong, it does not help. But it does depend on this. That today... That today, Jesus was casting out demons and doing cures. And tomorrow and the third day, he will be perfected. He says, go and tell that weak little person in Jerusalem, I've got business to do. And something is going to happen on day three. Oh, we're starting to see now what gets a person in and out of heaven. Heaven. It's something that happened on day three. Day three? It's still coming in more of the rest of this chapter. Doesn't depend on what you call yourself. It doesn't depend on who your friends are. Verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. Oh, hang on. That's that three-day thing again, isn't it? For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. It says in another passage here, of this, this description, that he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. Brethren, when was the last time you wept over Melbourne? And ye would not. It wasn't for the want of invitation. Be there many who are lost? Yes, but it's not for the want of invitation. It's not for the want of God's desire that they would be saved. It is not for the lack of calling. It is because, those last words, and ye would not. Not I would not, not I could not, but ye would not. When the the mass of humanity look up from an eternal punishment in hell and seek to know why, the answer is ye would not. Not God would not. There is enough grace for all. 
There is not enough willingness on the part of those who need the grace. Then this last verse. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me, till the time come when you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Be there few that be saved? Yeah. Those who say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're the ones who go into the feast. They're the ones who sit down in the kingdom of God. They're the ones who are invited in. Those who say, blessed. Well, shorten it. Those who say, blessed is he. Yeah. Those who say, blessed is he who would be perfected on the third day. Those who say, blessed is he who would perish in Jerusalem. Those who would say, blessed is their saviour. Doesn't matter where you live. Jerusalem is the blessed, most blessed place on earth. Uh, you know, remember that, that uh, chorus from Psalm 48? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Um, in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. The most blessed place on earth is Jerusalem. Why? Because God put his presence there. But living in Jerusalem didn't get you saved. Living in the most blessed place on earth didn't help. Any more than being born in a bakery makes you a loaf of bread, being born in Jerusalem does not make you saved. It's the question, do you respond to the invitation? It's not who you say you are. It's not who your friends are. It's not where you live. It's do you respond to the invitation and say, blessed is he. Blessed is he who died for me in Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now it's a very good question was asked by that disciple. Lord, are there few then that be saved? But Jesus gives a better answer. He said, don't ask, are there few that be saved? Because few or many, it matters not. The question is that there are many, many who are lost. Many who are lost. And they are lost not because God doesn't want them to be saved, and they are lost not because there is no invitation. They are not lost because there is no witness. For all of creation witnesses that there is a God. And that they should turn their hearts to him. They are lost because they will not turn to him. Some of us spend a lot of time witnessing to people. And it's a good thing. It's a thing we should all be doing. And you know, sometimes it breaks your heart when they won't listen. But remember, that's their decision. And eternity to come, it will not be asked of you 
Why didn't you argue better? Why didn't you talk more? Why didn't you be more convincing? It will be asked of them, why didn't you turn when you had the chance? I don't know your heart today. Maybe today you've never really made that change, that turn. Maybe you've been depending on who you are, who your friends are, who your mum was, who your dad was. Maybe you've been depending on, on, on where you live. Well, I live in a Western Christian country. I must be right. I'm not one of those heathen people who lives in foreign countries, so I must be right. It's not on who you are. It's not on where you live. It's not on what you call yourself. It's not on who your friends are. It's on what your relationship is to Jesus Christ. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to him in faith? That's the message that goes out day after day. And those who will not turn, those who will not repent, in the end, only have themselves to answer for it. But let us not weary in well-doing. Let us continue to put that message out to give them one more chance to turn. Let us give them one more time to repent and to seize the chance and to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Let's give them one chance more. And perhaps today, if you haven't taken that chance, you talk to someone today. Talk to myself, talk to pastor, and seize that chance to go in with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Thank you.